Welcome to Shovel Talk, a podcast for economic developers. From your friends at the Golden Shovel Agency. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Shovel Talk. This is Amanda Jenkins, and I am actually flying solo today. Bethany is uh, feeling a little bit under the weather. So um, before we dive into our interview today, uh, I actually want to introduce you to another member of our podcast team. Uh, we have Darren Varley, who is also with Golden Shovel, and he's actually our producer. So I'm going to let him come on and introduce himself and tell him a little bit, tell you guys a little bit about uh, what he does with Golden Shovel. Oh, well, thanks, Amanda. Yes, I am Darren Varley. I've been here the whole time, but behind the scenes, um, doing the producing. Um, I am the VP of, uh, Client retention and creative services here at Golden Shovel, as well as uh, the producer of this podcast. And um, you may possibly be hearing me maybe a little bit more in the upcoming months. I will be leading a podcast here, I believe, next month that we're really excited about. We're going to be having the uh, COO of the Minnesota Timberwolves, Ryan Tanky, on Shovel Talk. And we're going to be talking about a lot of great topics um, like sports marketing and the pandemic. So, as far as what, we, what we're up to at Golden Shovel, we are putting the finishing touches on a uh, remote working ebook that we're going to have available to our clients. So um, anybody who's on the uh, on the Golden Shovel email blast, stay tuned for that showing up in your inbox. I'm so excited about that ebook with remote work being just so prevalent and our communities, our, our clients wanting to obviously attract those remote workers. Um, this ebook is is going to be exciting to to see Golden Shovel put out. Yeah, and Amanda will be announcing one of these months here about her remote working experience that are upcoming. So stay tuned for that. So Amanda, who do we got on Shovel Talk this month? I'm so excited to tell you about who we have today on the podcast, Eric Peterson and Steve Radley. Steve Radley is the president and CEO of Network Kansas, and Eric is the vice president of Network Kansas. So we will be diving into what Network Kansas is, of course, and then uh, their career history. And you'll even find out today which one of these gentlemen is a actor and filmmaker and which one runs half marathons in Las Vegas. So definitely stick around to the end. All right. Thank you so much, Eric and Steve, for joining us today. So we're going to dive right in here. Can you tell us um, about Network Kansas and your roles within the organization? Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for having us and we appreciate the chance. We always love to talk about Network Kansas and uh, um, I'm the president and CEO, and I, I think Eric and I, I would consider as co-founders of Network Kansas. We were hired in May of 05, and the primary, we were created by the state of Kansas through uh, an act called the Kansas Economic Growth Act, and the primary uh, piece that we were tasked to do early on, uh, which has since grown a lot as we'll talk about it is to create a network of resources that provide some type of business building services to entrepreneurs and small businesses. And so um, that's where we started. And since then, we have evolved into, um, uh, we have statewide programs, and then we also have entrepreneurship communities, which Eric oversees. And so um, we're excited. We've grown uh, significantly, uh, but it's we've grown through our partners, not um, ourselves. Awesome. And yeah, Eric, um, I, I did read about these e-communities. Can you tell us a little bit about that and that uh, portion that you oversee of Network Kansas? Yeah. And, and it kind of ties in a little bit with what Steve talked about a minute ago. Um, 
from the beginning, we were one of our funding sources was we were allocated uh, an entrepreneurship tax credit, a state tax credit that we could sell or market and raise money. And, and a little bit of it could go to operations, but the, the lion's share went to creation of matching loans or programs uh, across the state. And that was a program we called Startup Kansas, a matching loan program from across the state. And it was in existence almost from day one, still is, works really, really well. It's an arm's length away from the business. It's a little more distant and it has its role and it fills it well. But a couple of years into Startup Kansas, the notion came to us that we really weren't empowering the communities as much as we'd like to. Uh, we weren't engaging with them maybe as much as we, we had hoped. And so we tweaked the Startup Kansas program and said, rather than us or our board of directors acting as a loan committee, let's allocate a portion of the money to a community. And they have certain rules to follow with the money, the matching amount, et cetera. But let's let them decide the businesses they loan the money to. Give them that autonomy. But it's an if-then. If they're going to get the money, then there are some things that we would like them to do that we think make a difference in their entrepreneurial ecosystem. And I, I think we'll probably have a chance to, to dive deeper. So I'll keep it maybe a little bit high level for now, but uh, that that's an overview in short of, of what it is. It started with the selection of six communities in 07 or 08, I forget. And there are now uh, 66 different communities across the state that are deemed uh, an e-community. Now, you know, I know being entrepreneurs previously before Network Kansas gives you such a special angle to, to help entrepreneurs. So Network Kansas was not your first venture together. So tell us about the early years, the history of, of Steve and Eric. How did you meet? Uh, what made you decide to actually go into business together? Well, we, uh, I'm a little older than Eric, so, uh, but we have known each other our whole lives. Our parents went to high school together. And we worked together while we were in college at Sears, back when Sears was number one. And, uh, and then we went to work for a technology company here in Wichita. And, and that company grew from, oh, 15 million to 275 million back in the 80s and 90s, which is a lot big, would, would have been a lot bigger number now. So I think part of the reason we got into business together is a lot of reasons why we think entrepreneurship is so important in these communities in that when we were at uh, Bright Boy Systems was the name of the company, they were getting ready to move and we wanted to stay in Kansas. And, and so my dad and brother were in the manufactured housing business. And uh, so we had access to knowledge of an industry that was doing very well. And, and so we decided to get in that business together and we, our timing was really good. We got in in 97 and, uh, um, and then uh, we ended up uh, exiting that business, but uh, but continuing to work for uh, Champion Enterprises out of Michigan. And so uh, I, I think probably I would say that's probably the number one reason we chose entrepreneurship was to stay in Kansas. Yeah, there I, I agree. You summarize that real well. And you're right. Um, you know, as we work with different people and Amanda, Darren, you're probably no different. You run across different terms where people will say maybe a necessity entrepreneur where they uh, may be coming out of the 08 and 09 
economic troubles, people lost their jobs and they started a business out of necessity for an income, or you'll have other terms that will kind of bubble up as you, as you go around the country. And uh, I, I do, I think that this, the story that Steve just summarized fit us very well. We were at a time in our life, we each were married, uh, had, I, I, I had one young child, he had maybe a second was born, I'm trying to remember two. And the idea of leaving and, and following a, what was a very good company, but going to uh, maybe Dallas or to tech or to Florida, you know, for whatever reason, 30 years ago, just wasn't that appealing to us. And so we became entrepreneurs a little bit out of uh, a desire to stay in the place we were in. So tell me what makes Kansas so amazing to you? What, what makes you what made you want to stay there? Good question. For me, you know, we had kind of laid our roots in and and uh, when we worked at Bright Boy Systems, we traveled a lot, both of us did, you know, and I think we were kind of done with the travel thing. Um, it's fun before you have kids, um, but after you have kids and, you know, I still remember it seemed like one of my daughters had doubled in size while I was on a road trip. And, <laughs> and so I think it was a lifestyle deal. Now, we probably could have gotten jobs in Wichita, uh, but I think probably the other piece to that is we're both kind of control freaks, you know, wanted to set our own path. And so that's probably the other reason. And we, even at that time and still today, although as we've, we've gotten older and maybe a little bit lazier, we don't enjoy the outdoors as much as maybe we should, but uh, we've always been hunters and fishermen and have had places, whether it be Steve's family's farm or other places we had access to through relationships, we've really been able to always kind of uh, live that hobby life, if you will, in Kansas really well. And so I think that was another reason that it worked to kind of keep our roots centered here. So let's get to know you guys a little bit more. What, tell me, what did you want to be as kids? How did that evolve into entrepreneurship? Did you always know that you, that you wanted to be business owners? Well, for me, when I went to my, I got my bachelor's degree in television and film and moved to LA, had an agent, had written a screenplay. And so I kind of, I wanted to be a film director. So we, I moved out to LA and, you know, I just, uh, I think the control freak or the control piece came in again. That's a business that that isn't necessarily you do this and get here and you do this and get here. And so I just didn't think it was worth it. And so I uh, decided to come back here and got my uh, get my MBA. But I always uh, loved filmmaking and uh, I have had opportunities recently to kind of do some things again in that industry, do some extra work and take some acting classes and I shot a short film based kind of on the work that we do now. So I, I continue to get to do those types of that type of work. Well, we're gonna have to dive in then to that a little bit more later. I'd love to hear more about the filmmaking, but Eric, tell, tell us about, you know, what you wanted to be. What I'm doing now was nowhere on the radar at all. (laughs) I wanted, uh, I wanted to be something in sports. It was very clear. I wanted to be a broadcaster uh, I went to a small college in Kansas to play uh, play college football and be a broadcast. Brought, they had a radio station and a little small campus-wide TV station. They had a broadcasting degree. Before day one of school even started, they dropped the degree. They dropped the station, the radio and the TV station. The whole thing went away. 
in hindsight, if that was my passion, as I would probably tell people I'm working with in, in businesses, if that's your passion, I should have probably picked a different place to go. But uh, I don't know the reason why. Uh, I stayed there. It was a good four years. Uh, enjoyed it. At some point decided uh, uh, maybe what I should should at least entertain the idea of was I'd like to be a coach somehow to stay in sports. Once again, I just, you look back on your choices and, and they lead you to this road for a reason. I didn't pursue that. I was working at Bright Voice, as Steve was talking about. Very good company. I can still remember clear as day. Uh, they were in the process of deciding upon the move uh, at that time, as we've referred to. And we, it was going to kind of come to the point where we were going to have to physically pick up and move. And I was in Philadelphia. And I was on a business trip and I remember being in my hotel and I don't think we had cell phones in. So Steve must have called my hotel room and he was having kind of the same mental struggles. I was stay. Do you follow a good company? What do you do? And that's when he said, Hey, what do you think of this idea? And he threw out the idea of a mobile home lot manufactured housing dealership. And uh, that kind of started that path. And then from there, it, it followed the path that we talked about. Uh, so um, no, no, this was nowhere on my radar, but uh, it, it's worked out just fine. So tell us a little bit more about your entrepreneurship history. What was your biggest learning experience through the, the businesses that you've owned? Well, I'll start that. So once a year, I, I go to a class uh, that my mentor teaches, uh, Dr. Don Hackett from the Wichita State Center for Entrepreneurship. And our first dive into entrepreneurship was we bought a bakery and we were still at Bright Boy Systems at that time. And um, I'll just tell you in this class and I'll let Eric talk about a little. Um, I, I described both the bakery and the manufactured housing dealership, what I what we did. And then I have the students decide one failed and one was successful. <laughs> and you'd be surprised. It's, it's usually about 50-50 now on which one they pick. 50% of the class is wrong. But I think that it's important that you understand that failure is an option, whether you want it to be or not. And I think that's really important for entrepreneurs to understand. Eric? Yeah. You know, one of the things that we do, Amanda, that Steve talked about early on is that we have a really good referral center here at our organization. And we know 500 to 600 really smart people around the state that help people every day with their business and whatever stage of their business life cycle they're at, there's somebody out there that can help you. We didn't engage any of those people at the time. That was probably the, le the lesson I've taken from it was we didn't reach out and ask for any assistance. You know, we, we bought a bakery. Neither one of us knew any more about the food industry than we'd eaten in bakeries. <laughs> uh, and uh, we did an SBA loan with that though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, we still, we still can't believe that guy gave us a loan, but he did. <laughs> no, that's my biggest learning point is that because failure is an option, whether you want it to be or not, like Steve said, recognize that there's people around you that are likely smarter than you are about particular things. And so you don't have to know it all yourself if you know people that do know some of that stuff. So that's the learning point I took away from it, from the failure side of our entrepreneurial lives. Yeah, I might add that just because you want to do something doesn't mean you should. There's a deal called Strategic Doing by a guy named Ed Morrison up, up in, uh, 
I think it's Purdue, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And uh, what could you do? What should you do? The thing I always remember about the bakery is my brother, who is still owns his own business and has forever said, how many bagels does it take to make any money? And, you know, and Eric and I went on a hunting trip, did our business plan in about an hour and then went pheasant hunting. Yeah. And so. uh, um, But I'll, 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 Amanda, I will one thing in hindsight, we could have failed bigger, maybe, and failed in a way that affected our families greater. We had made a determination, and I think others probably had kind of coached us into this, but I don't remember it. We had made the determination we weren't going to get into something at that point in our lives where the loan was going to require us to put our house up as collateral. And so it kind of set a ceiling on how big we were able to go. You know, we we only had X amount of dollars, each of us, for kind of cash infusion. The loan could really only be to a certain level, which kind of dictated that we had to look at things lower than that level for our first entrepreneurial venture and this one, we knew these guys, they had opened the business, had done well for seven or eight years, and were looking to do something different. So we kind of had an in. They, they kind of taught us the ropes a little bit. Uh, but really, I, I do think if, if anything, we at least made a Maybe we made a poor choice for jumping, but I think we made a good choice for jumping at a level that we could get out of if we failed. Yes, which is important for all entrepreneurs to look at. So I have to ask, what was your number one seller with the bakery? I'm going to say it was cinnamon raisin bread. Steve, you can, you can say if you had a different choice. Oh, yeah. Well, that was probably our moneymaker. So at what moment did you know that you wanted to shift focus um, from being entrepreneurs to helping entrepreneurs and startups? Well, we were we had been running the manufactured housing dealership for Champion for about seven or eight years and the business had, the industry had really taken a turn. And I always tell people, you know, when we sold out to champion, they were a $2 billion company with 228 retail locations and 67 plants. When we left there, we were one of the last of 15 retail locations they owned and they only had 28 plants. And so uh, I always tell people our greatest feat was continuing to stay in business during those difficult times. But I think the reason I want to point this out is I have a mentor at Dr. Hackett, who I went to when I got my MBA, he was my mentor. Anytime I had career decisions to make, I would go to him. And so we had breakfast and I said, I think it's time to make a move. Well, he was involved in this state law that was being passed. And he said, I think you'd be a great candidate for it. So I interviewed and was hired. Yeah, as the the first director. And, uh, you know, I I will tell you when I started, I had no idea where this would go. And it is really it's beyond even what we could have dreamed on how Network Kansas has grown in the last 15 years. And then, of course, Eric came on. He was my first hire. And uh, within about two weeks and uh, we found a way around the system to uh, (laughs) I don't know if you've ever worked with universities, but at the when we were first uh, hired, we were under a university system. Okay. And uh, so it was difficult to make a fast hire. And he was negotiating. They wanted to keep him at the manufactured housing dealership. And, and so we had to make a quick move. And uh, we were very excited that 
So within two weeks, we were both together and working on the strategy to launch Network Kansas. And, and you know, I don't want to over overlook what Steve talked about because, as he said, when we sold out to Champion Homes, and once they had kind of, as the business turned, and it, and it did, and, and they kind of made the determination that of the 220-something uh, retail outlets that they had, us being, well, we were two of them at one time, and then we consolidated down to one. As you continued to, to make a profit, they, you would be able to stay open. But if you went un, unprofitable, they were going to close you down. And the reason it's so important to me is not only did I, I think it really showed that, that we really did, in all honesty, buckle down. I mean, during some of the good times of the business, you could get away with not working as hard as you needed to, and you could still make really good money. During the last couple of years, you had to just work your fannies off just to, to break even. And the, the point I'm making is, as others weren't able to turn a profit and they got closed and we continued to hang on and hang on and hang on and hang on, we were very fortuitous that the time where they reached the final 15 or 18 and they said, you know, uh, uh, that's enough. Let's close them all down pretty much is what happened. Happened to be the time when Dr. Hackett talked to Steve about this. So had we not, I can't think of a better word, but had we not been good enough to stay open as long, we may have had to go find our job a year earlier or something, and this opportunity wouldn't have come up to us. So um, I think the timing was very fortuitous, but I also think it was because we kind of scratched and clawed and found a way to, to stay open month to month to month and until the end of the, the run. I also think that there's a very important point there for entrepreneurs, and that when, is when an industry is bubbling along, whatever industry it is, you can't really tell the good operators from the bad. Yeah. It's when the industry takes a dive that you can really tell who the good operators are and who aren't the good operators. And that's when you really, that's where the rubber really meets the road in any type of business. So if you get in an industry that's really humming along, something, you know, there's going to be a time when it doesn't hum along quite as well. And so you really need to be ready for that. So tell us with your uh, work with Network Kansas, what's been the most interesting project that you've worked on or startup that you've, that you've worked with? Uh, well, I'll, I'll jump in and answer that first. And, and uh, in terms of a startup or a business, uh, the communities that I work with have made matching loans to over 700 different businesses. So it's kind of hard to, to select one, but I'll tell you kind of something that has affected the businesses that, I, that energizes me to talk about. In a lot of the rural communities that we work with, when they try and kind of energize entrepreneurship and they try and spur on an entrepreneurial mindset kind of a deal, one of the things that's really caught hold is we've had some communities here that have come to us and they have created, and the word that's used here is either a fab lab or a makerspace, but it's a, it's kind of a one-stop shop where the, the way I explain it, I was just telling somebody this Saturday is they try and get one of about every single machine you could think of from, you know, CNC laser printer to uh, 3D printer, whatever it is, lathe, saws under one roof. And then they sell memberships and people can come in and use it 24 seven with a fob key, et cetera. Well, we started to play an active role in that happening across the state. And there have been multiple communities that have now, started up one of these fab labs coming out out of that, which not only has benefited many entrepreneurs, and there's a lot of 
offshoot businesses and products starting from those. But during the beginning stages of COVID, a large organization in Kansas wanted to grant some money to businesses that were creating PPE to help them do it quicker, faster, whatever, and get things out. And uh, a lot of these communities uh, that are 1,000, 1,500 people kind of pivoted and began making PPE for the good of Kansas because of these fab labs that they had created. And so that's, uh, you know, kind of a, maybe a dotted line answer to your question, Amanda, but it, it is one of the things that excites me kind of the most about what we've done. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I think for me, uh, the most exciting project is the one we're working on now. We're just starting our third year, and that is uh, our partnership with uh, an organization that probably 10 or 15 years ago we wouldn't have been partnering with, and that's the Kansas Health Foundation. Um, There's a lot of trends going on nationally and internationally around what's called impact investing. And so, but the basic premise of that is that organizations like community foundations and other foundations don't want to send all their investment dollars to New York City. They want to invest some of that money locally. And so we created a fund called the Kansas Community Investment Fund. It's a $3 million fund right now that Kansas Health Foundation put up half and we did. And it's really centered on kind of both of us doing a little mission creep, us towards community development projects and and the Health Foundation towards business projects. And that has led to just some exciting new money in the system, funding projects from daycare centers. We just funded a broadband project in Hutchinson, Kansas, which everyone knows that broadband is the new utility every community must have. And so we believe that's a big long-term potential. And uh, our partnership with the Health Foundation uh, is just a, a big part of that. So you've kind of shared a few you know, good nuggets of advice for entrepreneurs so tell me, before we kind of dive into some, some uh, little personal questions, if you had someone, whether it's a student or, um, you know, just someone looking at entrepreneurship, what would be three initial action items that you would give them to get started on the right path to entrepreneurship? Three, huh? Wow. Well, I think for me, I would say the number one thing uh, that you need to know is your own finances. You know, one of the first things I tell anytime I'm uh Uh, talking to college students is you can mess up your credit right now, get a bunch of debt, and you will have a difficulty trying to start a business. The second piece is that, and this is what I learned and kind of how we decided on our manufactured housing dealership. One of the things I learned is that you either have to have the knowledge yourself of the business you're getting into, or you have to have access to that knowledge. And so Eric and I had access to knowledge because my dad had been in the business 30 years and my brother had been in the business 15 already. And so you have to have access to the knowledge or the knowledge yourself. So if you're a college student, it may be better to go work for someone for a while in the industry you want to work in and then start your own business. And the third thing is to just begin exploring a plan and capital. Uh, my son is interested in, he's a golfer, a college golfer, and he's interested in uh, doing a golf academy where he has a site and, you know, and I've been telling him, I said, well, you need to work on a plan and you need 
figure out where their money is and, and the revenue and expenses for that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's basic blocking and tackling that you have to do as an entrepreneur and don't get ahead just because you're excited. And, you know, I know that's, that's exactly right. And I'll piggyback that with, with this, uh, Amanda, uh, I'm working right now with, with, a. Uh, one of the universities in Kansas on developing an entrepreneurial launch program for the rural parts of the state. And one of the things that the director likes to say, and I think it's exactly right, is he says, and I think of all the people we work with, and it fits with what Steve said, what's the problem that you're trying to solve? What's your solution? And does anybody other than you care? And I think that's really accurate when you think about it, because those are very kind of almost third grade-ish kind of questions. But if you just try and answer those three, it will cause you to think through all sorts of if-then things. And I find myself really committing that to my mind a lot and repeating it to people that just because Eric thinks something is neat doesn't mean anybody else gives a darn about it. You know, just because I'm doing something, is it going to solve any problem? What? So I really think those three, I keep finding myself repeating it is what's the problem? What's your solution? And does anybody other than you care? But I think those are three pretty uh, relevant things to remember. Definitely. And they seem like simple questions, but when you really sit down and try to think about it, it, yeah. it can be a little difficult to, to answer. Yeah. Uh, Eric, I think Eric, that's such a great point. And that's a problem that we run into with inventors. You know, they've invented something. They think because they invented it. Well, if, if it can't be sold, no one owes you just because you invented something to buy it from you. Right. Now, I have to ask you, do you hear this a lot? I have an idea for an app. <laughs> I feel like maybe. <laughs> yes. I feel like that would come up a lot. I don't know. <laughs> I have lots of them. <laughs> no, you're uh, you're exactly right. Or, or uh there's nothing I could add to that. You're exactly right, Amanda. You know, it's funny. I, li- I listened to a, a podcast because I've thought about, you know, making an app. And I, I listened to a podcast from someone who did make an app. And I learned a lot of truths in that and how expensive it can be and whatnot. Yes. So, yeah. Let's dive into some um, hobbies. And so, Steve, I really would love to hear about your experience as a, as a filmmaker. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, so, you know, as I said, my younger days, I wanted to be a filmmaker and I've had this idea in the back of my head for a long time for a a film. And and a lot of it is because Eric and I traveled all across Kansas. And one of the things we did, we don't get to travel together very much anymore, but in the early days, we traveled together a lot. And what we always did is we would stop in a, when we went into a town, the first thing we would look for is the local cafe because we knew they'd have great pie, number one, you know. And so we would go into that restaurant and eat. And I always, I don't care where we were, they knew we weren't from there <laughs> when we walked in. You could tell, but they were always welcoming and, and it, you know, and we would have conversations. And so the idea for this film came from the idea of what if I walked in and asked people in a restaurant or bakery or cafe some questions about their community and so that was kind of the idea I had but um, because I'm old <laughs> I'm not technically adept at all the new technology and I, but I knew a fantastic filmmaker who I've known since he was you know five years old who's a KU student 
And I thought if I could get him interested in it, we'd do it. And uh, so I wrote the script and uh, shared it with him. And he liked the idea. And so we went out, stayed at our farm and shot it in a couple days. And it, it's been remarkably successful. And I, I think it's a lot because of Andrew who Kivett, who was the person who shot the film and edited it. But we basically shot it in a bakery and uh, I went in as I told them, we didn't tell them what we were going to ask them. And I basically would ask them several questions. One is, is your town dying? What can we do? And do you have hope? And that's what the film is about. And it's called The Rural Road. And so I had a ball making it um, and working on some other ideas. Andrew was fantastic. It turned out much better than I even could have imagined. So very cool. So if anyone wanted to kind of check that out, is there somewhere they could find? Yes, it's on a it's on a Vimeo account now. I did the film festival circuit and it was it was selected 18 film festivals. Wow. And uh, so I just released it this month. Now, were the film festivals in Kansas or were they all over? They were all L.A., Oregon, Oklahoma, Kansas. Yeah, a bunch of different places. And no, it was it was very exciting. It's only a five minute film, but um, I've got an idea for the next one that we're working on. And so it's a fun project and it's a it's a great hobby for me. Awesome. Very cool. So maybe we could get the link to that Vimeo and I'll put it in the show notes for anyone who wants to to check that out. That's that's really cool. I bet the film festivals are probably just a blast. (laughs) You know, I've got to go to three and then the pandemic hit, you know, so it's a real bummer because you go there to network and meet people. And so with the pandemic, they all were virtual. Okay. Um, And so that was kind of a that's why I need to do another one. So when the pandemic's over, I can actually go to the film festivals. Yeah. In Oregon, they actually did it at a, and I, I couldn't go. They did it at a uh, outside theater and had cars pull up. Right. Oh, wow. Uh, so that was really cool. Nice. So Eric, tell us, um, I, I, a little birdie told me that maybe you, you run half marathons. <laughs> tell me well, about that. <laughs> let me tell you the little, I, I know your little birdie and he's a real runner. I'm a not, I'm not. So it's not fair for him to, uh, to, to put me in the classification with it. But no, it, it's, uh, it, it's not an, an awesome story, but my daughter who is now, uh, working on her doctorate for, in physical therapy, when she graduated high school before she went off to college, she just out of the blue, she'd been a high school athlete and just said, I'd like to run a half marathon once. Will you do it, dad? Well, you don't say no to your kids, no matter what it is. (laughs) uh, Now, hindsight, I should have said no, but I didn't. So we went to Stillwater, we trained together and went to Stillwater and ran one and and it was surprisingly fun. You know, I'm an I'm an old out of shape guy, but that's far. That's not such a ridiculous distance. You you can't make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, now for anyone who, real, isn't, who isn't sure, what how long is the? It's thirteen point one miles. Okay. And so uh, it's about two hours forty five minutes to three hours fifteen minutes, something like that for a for an old out of shape guy like me. It is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it was kind of surprisingly fun. But more than the fun, what I found was that if I'm just tasked with keeping myself in shape, I'm not very good at it. But if I go put a target out there that says on June 8th, I'm going to have to run 13 miles. Well, it'll force me to do that. And uh, so she's smarter than me. She said, one's enough. I quit. I'm going off to college. See you later. 
I kept doing them. I did a couple more. And then I told myself on the fourth one, it was going to be my last one. And I was just going to quit. And I read that there was one called the rock and roll half marathon in Las Vegas. And it's the only day of the year that they shut down the Las Vegas strip. Wow. They run it at night. So all the hotels are lit up. Every mile marker is a band playing live music on a stage. So, and there's a different genre of music, each mile marker. There are 19,000 runners that run it. Oh my goodness. And so they put you in corrals and kind of let the faster corrals at the first. So us, you know, us slow guys don't get in their way, but it, it runs very well. It's neat. It's fun to, to run at night on the strip, it, you know, all lit up. It, it was just a neat energizing activity. And there were just thousands of tourists lining the strip just to see what the heck's going on. There are things to do, but it was just kind of checking it out. I really liked it. So I have done uh, two others since then. And I'm debating. I, I've got to quit. I'm, I'm too old. I'm too out of shape. It's ridiculous. He's going he's gonna to do it. But I, 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 I had told myself one more. And I've told myself a few times, but I'm, I'm not very strong mentally. I give in. <laughs> um, I had said one more and then the pandemic hit and they didn't do it this year. I hadn't committed to do it anyway, so I don't want to act like that was the problem. But I'm I'm debating if I want to do one more for what will be my 55th birthday this year. And then either certainly call it quits. Uh, I'm sure I will. So it's a fun hobby, but more so if that's in front of me, it at least forces me to try in some semblance to stay in shape. I'm just not good at trying to stay in shape just for the sake of staying in shape. And that's really sad to say, but there's the truth. No, that's so true. I mean, you got to like put a label on something. You got to put something in your calendar. You know, you have to have that hard and fast date that you need something done by or else it's tough to. Well, and it's, it's no different. I don't think sometimes Mm -hmm. just maybe your work, you know, if you think Mm -hmm. I get whatever project it is done, you kind of can just keep pushing it off, pushing it off. But if you go, you know what, I have to have it done by March 1st. Now you're going to pay attention to it. Right. Um, so yeah, no real difference, but anyway, that's, that's one of my, one of my hobbies. Sounds like a great reason to go to Vegas. <laughs> it is, you know, you, you, you get there, you've run that in the evening. It's, it's a, you know, it's kind of a fun, like I said, I'm not trying, trying to break any records The, <laughs> the environment with the music playing and all the atmosphere oh, it yeah. gets you through how miserable it is that you're out running. And uh, then you got a couple of days you can, you know, play blackjack and relax. And so it's a nice excuse. Very cool. So what's the training like? How how long did it take for you when you first started to, to actually train and what was entailed in the training? I didn't have a fancy plan. I mean, we, as Steve was alluding to, or we both have, we travel enough that, you know, it seems like a day or even sometimes two days a week, we may be gone overnight at a hotel in a town in Kansas. And so it's kind of sporadic. I would try over the course of about four months to get from two miles to about 11 or 12 miles and then kind of just trust that the environment would help me run the last one mile of just peer pressure. I mean, 19,000 people surrounding you is a lot of people. Yeah. And it just is just massive humanity. And because I'm slow, because I'm old, my corral is so far back that it's like 45 minutes after the starter pistol goes off my group of people even gets to the start line to start oh, running, wow. but it, it's a fun environment. It, it is, it's neat. So yeah, I, I just, I don't do anything for time. I don't, you know, 
wear a watch and say, I'm going to run a 10 minute mile. My goal is don't walk, just finish it. Awesome. So you kind of just add some distance kind of as you go to build up to that. Awesome. Yeah. And, you know, and and I think the good thing about running in something with uh, the one in Stillwater, there's only about 300 people running in it. It's a tiny one that I did. Well, there's a real chance with only 300 runners that I could get last. That that hurts your pride. (laughs) With 19,000 people, I think surely somebody's (laughs) going to be behind me. (laughs) (laughs) so uh, tell us what book are you currently reading or uh, is what's the last one that you read that you might suggest to uh, to a colleague and why i am reading one called entrepreneurs will save the world and i I wish i could i'd have to pull it up on my phone it's at home right now i can't think of the author's name but it's called entrepreneurs will save the world that's the one i'm reading right now and why would you would you suggest it to a colleague and yeah, because it's very basic. Uh, it's not from a, how do I say this? Uh, it's not from an academic high level book learning angle. It's coming from the the mindset of small business creates net new jobs around the United States coming out of the pandemic. There's entrepreneurs by necessity. This is where we can kind of, a term we use a lot is grow your own here at Network Kansas. This is a way to kind of states and communities to grow their own versus looking for some large scale fix. But it's written at a very basic level and it's a it's a fundamental book that I, I can kind of grasp and understand. So that's why I like it a lot. Well I would recommend two books and, and I think probably you have a lot of economic developers that listen to this and um, there's two books. One is called Bold that I read several years ago. And the thing that hit me about that book, and and by the way, they've been right on about everything, is uh, what they call exponential networks. One of the trends they talk about is organizations that are small in nature that can have a big impact based upon the networks that they use. And so when I was reading it, I, I thought about Network Kansas. And, you know, there's only 13 or 14 of us. But we have a 500-person partner network. We have a 66 communities. And we can have a larger impact because of the networks that, that we have. The other book that just came out is called The Startup Community Way um, by Brad Feld and uh, Ian Hathaway. And I've just started that one. Um, Brad Feld, he's, he's a long time. He's from Boulder, Colorado. He started uh, an accelerator there. And so I just started that one, but I'm finding it really interesting. So I believe that the long-term trend for entrepreneurial ecosystems and communities of all sizes is a trend that's not going away. We're finding it in our work. We have states all over the country contacting us that we're in conversations with about building stronger entrepreneurial ecosystems at that local level. Eric and Steve, thank you guys so much for sitting down and, and chatting with me today. And is there anything that you'd like to, to leave our listeners with as we kind of close up our, our conversation here? Yeah, I, I, for me, I would say that if you're uh, interested in what we do from entrepreneurial ecosystem work, feel free to contact us. We are working with, I mean, I'm, I'm working on a project in Oregon. We have a, a a group called E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems, where half the work that Don Mackey does, who's a national known speaker and 
ecosystem builder. We'd be love to talk to you about working with you on building ecosystems in and outside of Kansas. No, I, nothing I'd add to that. I, I agree with that. Certainly, if we can help, uh, please reach out. I know we have been familiar with your organization just a little bit through the Western Kansas Economic Development Association. I know that your organization has been a part of their meetings for years. So we, we have been familiar with your work and we appreciate this opportunity to get closer with you guys. All right. Well, thank you, Steve and Eric, so much. It's been great chatting with you guys and getting to know you a little bit better. And just thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can find Steve and Eric at NetworkKansas.com and you'll find their social media links there as well. Go show them some love. And of course, we'll be announcing our next podcast soon. And so definitely follow all the Golden Shovel media outlets and stay tuned. Stay tuned.